appreciate all the wonderful things you've given me. Your loving kindness, your tender mercy.
one more time this morning, church. Thank you, choir, for leading us into the presence of the Lord and hopefully for preparing our hearts for the word of the Lord this morning. You can be seated. How many of you are ready to receive a word from the Lord this morning? Amen. Thank God. I want you to know, just like I told the first service, that the word the Lord has given me has been very difficult for me to bear this week. The weight of this word has not been easy for me to prepare, not been easy even for me to receive. But I'm praying this morning that we all receive it anyway. Amen. Because the reality is, in order for us to experience the personal revival of our soul, in order for us to experience revival in the house of God, in our own homes, in the community, or in our land, sometimes we've got to hear a difficult word. Sometimes we've got to do things that maybe we're not accustomed to doing. But mostly, in order to experience revival, we've got to be willing to lay down our own lives, to lay down our pride, and to put on humility so that God can do what He wants to do. And that's my prayer this morning. The title of my message this morning, or the title of God's Word, is Empty Pretenders. And before we read it, I want to go to the Lord in prayer one more time. It is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1, and as far as the Holy Spirit takes us. But let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word that you have given your people already in the first service. I thank you, Father, for how they responded and how they received it, Father. And I'm praying the same in this service. God, I'm praying that you would anoint me once again, Lord God, in my mind, in my body, and in my spirit. I pray, God, that you would give me the strength to bear up and hold up under this word. God, I cannot bring this word without your anointing, without your strength, and without your Holy Spirit. And I don't want to do it even if I could. Because, God, my words can't make a change or a difference in your people's lives. But your word and your anointing and your strength can do just that. So I pray, God, that I wouldn't lean on my own wisdom or understanding this morning, but I acknowledge you as God. I acknowledge my need for you this morning and your people's need as well. I pray, God, that your word would not return void, but that it would accomplish the very reason that you have sent it. I pray, God, that just like in the first service, in this service, your word would be living and active, that it would be sharper than any two-edged sword, that it would be able to do what no man can do in our lives. Anoint your word, Father God, and anoint your people to hear and receive and respond. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. I didn't tell the first service this, but I would ask that you put on your spiritual seatbelt this morning. Because there might be a little bit of a rough ride, but I'm praying that God take us through it. And God deliver us from the things that we allow to stand in our way of revival Because that's what we're praying for, church. This is what Pastor and the staff and all of you have been praying for. Some of you have been fasting for. I know the staff has been. And this is what it's going to take for us to experience revival. And I want you to know we don't have to wait till the 26th. We don't have to wait till next week. We can have revival today. You can have revival anytime you choose to to surrender yourself to the Word of God, to obey it and do it. The word of the Lord is in 2 Timothy verse 3. And before I read it, I want you to know that Paul writes to Timothy and he speaks to him concerning a last day generation. 
In his letter to Timothy, he outlines and forewarns Timothy of the attitude and the condition of the heart of those who are most likely to see the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord. And as you first read through these verses, you would tend to think and tend to believe that Paul is referring to those outside of the church. You'd think that he is referring to those out there in the world, those out there that are lost in sin. But when you study it, when you understand it, when you read it, you begin to know that Paul is referring referring to the household of faith. He's referring to those inside the house of God that are lost in sin and wandering in sin. And beginning in verse one, Paul says, mark this. He says, Timothy, mark my word. In the last days, there will be difficult times. There will be trouble and a struggle within the church, he is saying. It will be a struggle for the church to maintain godliness and holiness and righteousness uh, and the power of the Lord. For he goes on to say, people will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. They will be disobedient to their parents and they will rebel against their authority. They will be ungrateful and unthankful. They'll be unholy and unrighteous. They will be without love, unforgiving instead of forgiving. They will be slanderous and without self-control, meaning they will do what is right in their own eyes. They will be given to every temptation and lust that comes their way. It goes on to say that this generation will be brutal and violent, that they will turn away from good and what's right. In other words, they will exchange the truth for a lie. They will call good evil and they will call evil good. It goes on to say that in the last days, this generation will be treacherous and rash. They'll be conceited. They will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness, but they will deny any of God's power. And in the Greek, in the original translation, the Greek translation, Paul said that they will be nothing more than empty pretenders. Individuals who will be sitting in the household of God pretending to be something that they're not. He is saying that in the last days there will be a church generation that pretends to be holy, but they won't be. They will pretend to be godly and pretend to be righteous. They will pretend to be in love with God, but they won't be. He is saying that in the last days there will be a church filled with empty pretenders. Today's translation might be powerless posers, individuals pretending to be something that they're not individuals who will not live up to the confession that they make. This is the last generation that Paul is talking about. And I want you to understand that when Paul spoke of difficult times, when he spoke of troubling times, he wasn't speaking about a persecution that would come from the outside in. He wasn't referring to the sinfulness or the wickedness of a world out there. He was referring to the sinfulness and the wickedness of that in here, of those even in the house of God. Paul was warning Timothy of a day when Trouble would arise within the church of a day that when pastors would fall, a day when churches would fail, a day when God's people like sheep would all go astray, when they would walk in their own ways and when they would walk in their own wisdom, when they would do what is right in their own eyes instead of doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. 
He was referring to a day when the character of Christ would be difficult to find even in the house of God. He was referring to the day when the household of faith would look just like the world looks. When they would talk just like the world talks. When they act just like the world acts. Behave just like the world behaves. And live just like the world but lives. He was referring to a day when the church congregation wouldn't be no different than the worldly congregation. Congregation. This is the generation that Paul was speaking about. A generation that looked the part and talked the part, church, but would not have any power. A church filled with empty believers. Understand, Paul was not referring to the world, but he was referring to those who claimed to be godly. He was referring to those who claimed to be Christian, those who claimed to be sons and daughters of the Most High God, those who claimed to be part of the household of faith. He was referring to those sitting in the pews and those singing in choirs and those serving in ministry and even those standing behind the pulpit of God. Paul was telling us to not be surprised when we find the house of God filled with sheep and with goats. When we find the house of God filled with wheat and with chaff, with with gold and with dross, with the godly and the ungodly alike, with the righteous and the unrighteous alike. You see, I'm not talking about, uh, I hope you understand... uh, That the church is to welcome sinners into its midst. They are to welcome those that are lost and dying in their sin into the house of God so that they might find the Lord. But this is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about the church becoming corrupt. He's talking about the church becoming just like the world where you won't even be able to differentiate between what's out there and what's in here. This is the generation in the last days that Paul is saying would come. Difficult and troubling times will arise in the church, and I believe with all of my heart that those days are here. Paul was warning Timothy of a day church when homosexuality would be embraced by the church. It may not be embraced by South Metro Ministries, but I want you to know all across the land, homosexuality is being embraced by the church. It is being embraced by different denominations. It is even being promoted behind the pulpit. I want you to know that Tim Paul was warning Timothy of a day when the sexually perverted would dare stand behind the pulpit of God and be a an oracle for the Most High God. But Paul was letting Timothy know that when they dare to do that, they're not going to do it with power. And they're not going to do it with conviction. They're going to stand there in their own strength. They're going to worship in their own strength. They're going to sing in their own strength. They're going to serve in their own strength. Because they will not do it with the anointing. They will not do it with conviction. They will not do it with the Spirit of God. And they will not do it with power. Amen. This is the generation that Paul was speaking of, a church generation, a ministry, a choir, a youth ministry, a youth group, a men's ministry that will be nothing more than empty pretenders or powerless posers who cannot have an effect on the kingdom of God. This is what Paul was talking about. He was warning church of a troubling time when the abomination of abortion would just be nothing to the church. When the church would no longer weep and grieve over the slaughter of the innocent children. 
When it would just be accepted as something that has happened in our society. When we think about it, we no longer grieve about it. When's the last time the church wept over abortion? When's the last time you heard it preached from the pulpit that it grieves the heart of God? That homosexuality turns and grieves the the, the sight of God. This is the generation that Paul was referring to. He is saying there was coming a time when the house of God would not weep over sin or grieve over sin or bend the knee over sin. Maybe not my own personal sin. He was referring to the fact that there will be a church generation that might not even have sin in their own life, but they won't weep over the sin of the city. They won't weep over the sin of the church as a whole. They won't weep over the the contamination that has made its way into the household of God and caused it to lose its power. This is the generation Paul was speaking about. A day, church, when the church would no longer blush over their sin. When they would no longer blush over their iniquities. When they would no longer blush over the fact that they are grieving the heart of God. The Bible says that, not me. There's coming a day when the people of God will not blush over the sin that's in their lives. They won't blush when they sit down and watch pornography. They won't blush and grieve when they go get drunk at the bar. They won't blush and grieve over the fact that they've allowed sin come into their life. They won't blush over the fact that they're sleeping around. They won't blush over the fact that they're committing adultery. They won't blush over the fact that they're cheating and lying and stealing and picking up the phone and gossiping in the name of the Lord. This is the last day generation God is speaking about. And when that time comes, when that generation is born, difficult times will come upon the church. This is what Paul was saying to Timothy. When they don't even hide from their sin. There's coming a time, Paul said, when the church is going to sweep sin under the carpet instead of bringing it to the cross. When they're going to excuse it instead of crucifying it. When they're going to excuse it and, and wipe it away instead of bending a knee and asking God to forgive them of their sin. There's coming a day when the power of the cross will be overlooked. You see, because we'd be, we're, we're going to get too busy excusing our sin and justifying our sin instead of confessing our sin. This is the last day generation that Paul is speaking about. He was referring to a troubling time, and I know this isn't preached from the pulpit a lot either, but he's referring to a troubling time when the divorce rate inside the house of God is equal to or outnumbers the divorce rate outside in the world, even when God says, I hate divorce. It's one thing that God says in Scripture that He hates, and yet it is continually happening in the household of God. This is the troubling time Paul is speaking about. These are Paul's words and God's words, not my words. These are the words of the Most High God. He's referring to a troubling time, church, when those who are sitting in the pews and singing in the choirs and serving in ministries will be as addicted to alcohol and pornography and drugs and every other vice that the world is, that those without God have in their life when the house of God will be filled with addicts this is the generation that God is talking about now listen to me I'm not talking about the fact that when an addict comes into the house of God they can't get saved I'm talking about a church generation that when an addict comes into the house of God there's no power to set them free there's no power to change their life there's no power to loose the bonds that are holding
telling them, this is the generation Paul is talking about. When they look all pretty and they wear their three-piece suits and their designer clothes and they're more worried about what they look like than the power God has for them. Amen. It's coming a time when it will be difficult for the house of God to maintain godliness and holiness and righteousness in its ranks. Because a people will be lovers of themselves, the Bible says. Because they will love the things of the world. They will love the things that make them feel good. They'll love the things that make them happy. They'll love the things that tickle them and, and, and cause them to feel real good. They will be lovers of themselves, church. They will satisfy their flesh instead of satisfying the spirit. They'd rather go to the movies than go to prayer. They'd rather look at pornography than go to the word of God. They'd rather go to some concert than come to the house of God. They'd rather go to the shore and go play golf and go satisfy the lust of their flesh instead of satisfying the spirit of their soul. And Paul said, mark my word, Timothy, these days will come and Those days are here. Amen. And we need to understand that we are the generation Paul speaks of. We are the generation that Paul mentions to Timothy. You and I are the ones that are most likely to see the coming of the Lord. You and I are the ones that are most likely to hear the trumpet sound, to see the clouds roll back, only if we're ready. If you're not ready... You won't hear a peep. If you're not ready, you won't hear a thing. If you're not ready, you won't see no clouds roll back. All you'll see is a person sitting next to you, poof, and they're gone. All you'll see is your coworker, poof, and they're gone. All you'll be seeing is driving down the road, there's a car next to you, poof, there goes the driver. And you'll wonder what happened. This is the generation that that Paul is speaking about to Timothy. And this is the generation that is birthed and sitting in the house of God today. Listen, I know this is a difficult word. I know this is a hard word. I've wept over it. I've repented over it. I spent time not to brag on myself before God that I could bring this word rightfully and justly before you. I've had to crucify my own heart. I've had to weep before God. I had to cry that He cleanse me and forgive me. That that I be a vessel of honor. Fit and ready for every good work. Fit and ready for revival. You see, when the church calls the people to revival, it's got to start right here. It's got to start here, church. It's got to start behind the pulpit. I, I, I can't preach to you what I'm not willing to let happen in my own life. I've got to be willing to be broken. I've got to be willing to repent. I've got to be willing to say, God, I don't deserve to stand behind this pulpit. I don't deserve to bring forth a word. I'm just an unclean vessel that needs your mercy and needs your grace. This is this is the generation that Paul speaks about. And I don't want to dare be like that. I want to be fit and ready. I want to be profitable to the master. I want to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to wear the name Christian with honor. Amen. I'm praying that you all do the same. 
Paul goes on to say, Timothy, you'll know that these last days are here. Reader, you will know the last days are here. People, you will know the last days are here when the people in the house of God will be lovers of money. When they'll be lovers of mammon and material things. When they're so busy pursuing the wealth of this world that they forsake the things of God. Like I said before, they want love, they want the things that this world has to offer instead of the eternal things that God has to offer. They're more concerned about their penthouse suite and the car that they drive and their money in their bank than they are feeding their soul. More about those things out there than the word of God and the spirit of God and the power of God. I'd rather drive a piece of junk and have the power of God in my life than any other thing. I'd rather live in a shack and have the power of God in my life than to live in a palace without God. David said one day in the house of God is better than a thousand out there. There is nothing this world can offer you that is greater than the power and the anointing of God in your life. Hallelujah. They will be lovers of money and material gain while their spiritual disciplines disappear. They'll be so caught up pursuing the things of this world that the word of God will find its way under the table, under the bed, into the backseat of a car collecting dust up on a shelf. They'll be so caught up with the material things that they'll miss the house of God, that they won't come to prayer meeting or they won't come to Bible study or they won't make it to revival because they will be lovers of mammon and material things. They'll love the beach house and the boat house and the cabin in the mountains more than they will love the house of God. More than they will love God himself. Now, listen, I'm not saying you can't go on vacation. I'm not saying you can't enjoy the things God has taught, has blessed you with. But what I am saying is there is coming a generation that will love those things more than they love the house of God. More than they love the things of God. And Paul was saying, Timothy, don't be surprised when you see this. He's telling us, the reader, don't be surprised when you see this. Paul went on to say that you will know that you are in the last days when the people in the house of God will be proud and not humble. When they will have hard hearts and stiff necks and knees that don't know how to bend at the altar of God. You see, this is what's needed for revival. You can sing all you want. You can dance all you want. You can run all you want. You can jump on pews all you want. You can clap your hands all you want. But until you unstiffen your neck and allow it to look up to God or allow it to bow down to the, to the grave, until you got knees that are willing to bend and bow itself in humility before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, before the Holy One of Israel, you won't experience revival in your soul. You'll be an onlooker that watches the power of God fall on someone else because you're not willing to do what needs to be done in order to experience revival in your own soul. You think if mommy gets revival, that's good enough. If wife or husband gets revival, that's good enough. If my neighbor gets revival, that's good enough. I'll just share in the excitement. Well, you might for about an hour or two. But when you walk out into that world and the devil comes against you, your little dance and your little shout ain't going to get you through. You need the word of God, the power of God, the spirit of God, the anointing of God in your life. 
Mama ain't going to get you through it. Daddy ain't going to get you through it. Pastor ain't going to get you through it. I'm not going to get you through it. You got to win your own fight. You got to win your own battle. You got to claim your own marriage and your own victory in your life. You got to stop waiting for someone else. You want revival. Loosen your neck. Bend a knee. And set your heart towards God. Why do you think God said you stiff-necked people? Because their neck was set in their own ways. They would not set their heart or their eyes towards God. They wouldn't set their eyes into the hills. They wouldn't set their eyes on the author and the finisher of their faith. They set their, their face where they wanted to go. Instead of the way God wanted them to go. And mark my word, Paul said, in the last days, these are the things you're going to see. How many of you know we're in the last days? How many of you know God could come any moment? Before I'm finished my sermon, God could show up on the scene and say, okay, I've had enough. I've had enough of this wickedness. I've had enough of this pretending. I've had enough of this phoniness. It's time to come home. It's time to face judgment. It's time to answer for the life that you lived here on earth. Any moment it could happen, church. They will be unholy instead of holy. They will be ungrateful instead of thankful. They'll grumble and complain about what they don't have. Don't, don't, got, don't got a good enough car, God. This thing's a piece of junk. Oh, I wish I had a better house. Oh, I wish I had a better job. Oh, I wish I, I, wish I had what they had. I wish I had what she had. I, I, I wish I, 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 I had more. You see, this is what God is talking about when the house of God is going to be filled with those that are ungrateful for what they don't, for uh, ungrateful for what they do have. They won't even thank God for what they have because they'll be so concerned about what they don't have. I see it creeping up. I used to tell my own kids, stop being so, stop being so worried about what you don't have. Be thankful for what you do have. Amen. Be thankful for what you've got. Be thankful for your job because a lot of people don't have one. Be thankful for your house because a lot of people are sleeping under bridges. Be thankful for the the, the cheap clothes you got on your back because some don't have any clothes at all. Be thankful for the food that's set on your table because there's some people that aren't going to eat today. We're worried about what restaurant we're going to go to. We're worried about who we're going to meet and where we're going to eat. When we need to be worried about the spiritual condition of our soul. This is the last day generation Paul is talking about. He's talking about that generation that when the Spirit of the Lord speaks, they're wondering how long the line at Golden Corral is going to be. If pastor goes any longer, I'm not going to get anything on the buffet. If if pastor goes any longer, I'm going to be late for this. And listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. Paul is saying in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. More concerned about their flesh than they are about their soul. They will cling to a form of godliness because real godliness will escape them. I hope you understand what that means. They'll cling to a form of godliness because they'll not be willing to offer themselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before the Lord. So they'll pretend and they'll fake I did it for a lot of years in my life. I remember when I was in the youth group and boy, the power of God was moving. I didn't want to be left out and the youth didn't want to be left out, especially the girls. And they'd show up with mascara and so they'd spit in their hands and they'd, they'd wipe some, they'd wipe stuff on the mat, make it look like they were crying. They'd fake it. 
And as long as mommy and daddy think I was crying, then everything's okay. Woo! God's moving in our young people. Bunch of nonsense. Bunch of fooey. This is exactly pretending to be something that they're not. Pretending to be broken when they're not broken. Pretending to grieve over their sin when they're not grieving over their sin. Pretending to be righteous and godly when they're not even in the Word of God. Hadn't prayed for five weeks. Hadn't been to the house of the Lord for a month. Empty pretenders, powerless posers, Paul was talking about. They'll cling to a form of godliness because they'll have nothing else to cling to. Listen and understand. They can't cling to the promises of God because they won't qualify for them because of the sin and the wickedness and the compromise they have in their life. So there will not be any promises that they can cling to. They can't cling to the word of God and claim it as theirs because they have rejected it. Because they have denied it, church. Because they have done nothing but despise it. Because they haven't hid it in their heart. Because it's not become their their daily bread. So they cannot cling to the word of God or the things that it say. They can't cling to the anointing of God. They can't cling to the power of God. They can't cling to the presence of God, church. Why? Because they don't have it. Why? Because they are lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In the last days, this is what will come to the church, Paul said. And I believe with all of my heart, those days are here. We are the generation Paul was speaking of. We are the generation of empty pretenders and powerless posers. We're the generation that's clinging to a form of godliness, thinking that it's going to impress someone. Mark my words, Paul said, and he's not the only one that wrote about this generation. He's not the only one in Scripture that that wrote out a letter that had to do with the, the attitude of the heart and the condition of the soul of those who would see the coming of the Lord. On the island of Patmos, the Apostle John writes of the same generation. He writes of the same church congregation. He writes, of the, he writes of those same individuals sitting in the pews and singing in the choirs and serving in various ministries. He wrote seven letters to seven churches as ordered by the Spirit of the Lord. And one of those letters was written to the church in Sardis. To the angel of the Lord, or to the angel of the church in Sardis, write these words, God said. While John was stranded on the island of Patmos for standing up for God, for being a witness for the Lord, he, he wrote these words. God, you know it, in Revelations. God took him up into the heavens, and he gave him a picture and a, and, and a, gave him a picture and a revelation of things to come. And he too was shown the last day generation. He, too, was shown the same church Paul was talking about, and he said, write these words. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He starts the letter by saying and and reminding the reader that these are not the words of man. These are not the words of human flesh. These are not my words, John said. These are the words of God. These are the words of the one who holds the the seven stars. These are the words of God. And I want you to know, church... And I want you to understand that I'm not preaching the gospel according to Jeff this morning. I'm not preaching my own gospel. I'm not promoting my own agenda. I am not, I am not trying to uh, create some new doctrine. These are the words of the Lord that I am reading to you. These are the words of God. You see, John understood and God understood that unless the people know these are my words, they're not obligated to obey them. 
They're not obligated to listen to them, you see, and we do that so often. We come into the house of God and we just think, oh, these are just the words of Pastor Jeff. These are just the words of Pastor Allen. This, this is his, this just his own agenda. These are, this is his doctrine. I beg to differ. When we stand up here, we stand and represent the Word of God. When we stand up, now if you've got a question and you think it contradicts the Word that you're reading, bring it to us, like Pastor said. We'll be happy to discuss it. You see, but what we try to do is we try to disqualify the message because of the messenger. They preach too long. They preach too short. He preached too loud. He preached too soft. I couldn't hear him. He, uh, uh, he was too loud. Uh, I, I couldn't hear him. The music was too slow. The music was too fast. And all of those reasons cause us to not receive the word of God. Because we think it's the word of man. Paul and, or John was saying, these are not my words. These are the words of the Most High God. And this is what he said. He said, write this. I know your deeds. You have a great reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You have a great and wonderful reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Now, I wonder what that church felt when they read those words. I wonder what conviction ripped through their soul when they understood that they thought they were alive, but they were dead. You see, this is what God was saying. You have a reputation of being alive, but there's no life in you. You have a reputation of being alive, but there's no fruit on the vine. There's no figs on your branches. There's no water in your well. There's no power in your life. You have a great reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You're nothing more than empty pretenders and powerless posers filling up the pews in the church. You're clinging to a form of godliness, but you've got no power. You're clinging to your reputation, but you've got no life. You're spiritually dead. You think you're in need of nothing. You think you're in need of nothing, but you don't realize that you're poor and you're naked and you're wretched and you're pitiful and you're blind. You think you're in need of nothing, but you need a revival in your soul, God was saying. You need a revival. You need a revival in your soul, God was saying. So the Spirit of the Lord goes on and says to the church, Wake up! Wake up! This is the word that God has for today's generation. Wake up. I love you, church, but it's time to wake up. I love you, but it's time to shake off the slumber. I love you, but it's time to wake up from your sleep. and Do what God has called you to do. Wake up because you're slumbering. Wake up because you're asleep. He goes on and says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete. Not found your deeds complete. You're sleeping when there's a whole lot to do. You're slumbering when there's kingdom work that needs to be done. Instead of laying hands on the sick, you're asleep. Instead of setting captives free, you're slumbering. Instead of going out into the highways and the byways, instead of serving under the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost, instead of doing what I've called you to do, you're asleep. He's telling the church, you've not finished the race You've not finished the fight. You've not reached the mark. There is still much to do and your deeds are not complete, but you're acting like you're done. You're acting like there's no more to do. And I'm asking you, I'm calling you, God said, to wake up. This is the generation that Paul and John and God were speaking about, a generation that needs to wake up. A generation that needs to shake off the excuses and shake off the sin that is weighing them down and causing them to fall asleep on the job. 
God was speaking of a church that was dying in their sleep. He was talking about a church generation that no longer has an impact on society, no longer has an impact in the schools or in the campuses, no longer has an impact on the workplace, no longer has an impact over the judicial system or over the the government of our land. Prayer is not allowed in school anymore. And if you, 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 you mention the name of Jesus, you may not even graduate. Tell me what kind of power is flowing through the school system. Tell me what kind of influence and power the church is having over society. And then ask yourself whether or not we are experiencing the power of God in our midst. Back in the 60s. Abortion was legalized. Tell me what kind of power and influence the church had over the law of the land then. Tell me what kind of impact we're having over the law of the land today. Oh, it's just the way it is. Oh, times are just going to get more evil. Times are just going to get more wicked. You're absolutely right. And guess what needs to happen in the midst of that? The church has to wake up. The church has to shake off their slumber. The church has to realize what they've been called to do. Rise up from your slumber, awake from your sleep. Let the power of God come into your life. This is what God was talking about, church. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and obey it and repent. Remember what you have received and heard and obey it and repent. Believe with all of my heart, church, that we have forgotten our mandate I believe we have forgotten what we have received. I believe that we have forgotten that we have received the power to be called the sons and daughters of the Most High God. That we have received authority over every unclean spirit. That you and I have received the authority to say unto that mountain, be thou moved and cast into the sea. And it will be cast into the sea. I believe we have forgotten that we have received the power to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. I believe we have forgotten that we have received the power to live a righteous, right, and holy life in the presence of God. I believe we have forgotten our mandate, church. We have forgotten the high call of Christ upon our lives. We've forgotten about our call. We've forgotten about our purpose. We've forgotten about the plan that God has written out uh, in every one of our days before we even breathe the breath. We have forgotten, church. That we are to come out from among them and be ye separate. That we are to touch no unclean thing. I think that we have forgotten, church, that we are to separate ourselves from this world. That we are not to be conformed to this world or like it in any way. But that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So that we might prove what the will of the Father is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. We've forgotten our mandate. We have forgotten what we have received and what we have heard and we have failed to obey it and do it and we have failed to repent. And because of it, we have no power. Because of it, the church is nothing more than empty pretenders or powerless posers trying to do kingdom work. And they can't. Because we've forgotten what we have received and heard. We failed to do it and we have failed to repent. I know that this is a tough word, church. But I hope you're listening and I want you to listen to that, to this. Even though God said this generation would be empty, even though he said this generation would be powerless, even though this generation church would be asleep and and he called them dead, he still said they would have a great reputation of being alive. 
They would still have a great reputation of being alive. They could still put on a great show. They could still play pretend really well. This is what he was saying. They will still bring in the crowds. They will still entertain greatly. They will still sell lots of books. They'll still get prime time coverage, church. They might even set church trends. They will have a great reputation of being alive. But the power of God will not be found in their midst. The power of God to set the sinner free won't be there. The power to heal won't be there. The power to resurrect won't be there. The power to break the chains of sin won't be there. The power of the Holy Spirit will not be in their midst. They'll entertain. They'll bring in crowds. They'll have a great reputation. But the power of God won't be in their midst. And I believe with all of my heart that the church has become so consumed and concerned about being relevant. So concerned and consumed about being hip that they have lost the power of God in the process. God has not told me anywhere to be hip in the word of God. He's not told me anywhere to be relevant. What he has told me to be is instant, in season and out. What he has told me is to be ready in a moment's notice to give an account of the hope that lies within me. That's what he's told me. He's told me to be like his son, Jesus Christ. And listen, when I'm like Jesus Christ, I don't have to worry about being relevant. When I'm like Jesus Christ, I don't have to worry about putting on a show because the power of God will be in my life because the anointing of the Holy Spirit will be in my life. You want power? Be like Jesus. You want the anointing? Be like Jesus. You want to have an impact in your workplace, in your home or in your community? Be like Jesus. I don't have to change my clothes. I don't have to fit in in order to be like Jesus. To have an impact on the kingdom of God and on our community. I know that these are harsh words, but Paul said, mark my words, it's going to happen. And the troubling times have come upon the church. Because every day, church people are growing farther and farther away from God. Every day, church people are growing farther away from the word, farther away from his ways, farther away from his will. Every day, church, every day. The church is becoming more addicted than the day before. Every day, church, we can look at it. The church is committing adultery. Every day, the church is giving in to fornication. Every day, the church is looking at pornography. Every day, the church is getting drunk and the church is getting addicted to drugs and the church is being overcome by the vices of the world. Mark my word, Paul said, in the last days, difficult times will come upon the church. Every day, our young people, and I don't mean ours, I'm talking about a church generation. Every day, our young people will sleep around. Every day, another person in the house of God is going to get a sexually transmitted disease. Every day, someone in the house of God is going to have a child out of wedlock and think nothing of it. They won't even blush. They won't even be broken over the things that are making their way into the house of God. This is the last day generation that God is talking about. Every day, the church is falling farther and farther into sin. We're not even broken over it. We're not even bruised over it. We're not even crushed over. And it's exactly why God said, wake up. It's exactly why he said, remember what you have received and heard and obey it and repent. Like I said, church, I love you, but it's time for the church to wake up. I love you. But it's time for us to remember what we received. It's time for us to remember what we heard, not just today or last week. We need to remember the things God has spoken into our lives and we need to do them. I love you, but it's time for us to repent, God said. 
I'm going to ask Pastor Zach to come to the music and I'm going to find my way towards an end. Don't think I'm going to close right yet, but I'm making my way. It's time for us to call urgently on the Lord while he might be found. We need to set our face towards him while we might find his face. These are the things that we need to understand. It's time for us to step down from our throne of pride our throne of our own personal throne of dignity, just like the king of Nineveh did, and cover ourselves with humility. Take off our pride, recognize and confess the fact that we need God to do something in our lives and we need him to do it urgently. You see, somewhere in order for revival to take place, there needs to be an urgency that comes upon God's people. And I don't sense that urgency. I don't believe that the church has sensed the urgency that we need to fall on our face before God and cry urgently out to his name. There's no sense of urgency to repent. There's no sense of urgency to come to the altar. There's no sense of urgency to turn our life around, to to turn our situation around. There's no sense of urgency to give our life to God right now. And yet this is what the king of Nineveh did when the word of the Lord came to him. When the word of the Lord came to the city of Nineveh, they all stopped pretending. Not that they were, but this is what has to happen in our lives. We need to stop pretending, church. We need to allow ourselves to find a place where we're willing to repent and allow the power of God to come into our lives. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, as I begin to find my way to a close, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, the Bible says. Because he failed to listen the first time. Because the first time God spoke, Jonah chose to walk in his own ways instead of the ways of God. God had to speak a second time because the first time Jonah decided to do what was right in his own eyes instead of the eyes of God. God had to speak to him a second time because the first time Jonah allowed stubbornness to rule in his heart. Because he allowed pride to have rule over God's purpose in his life. You see, we need revival in our life when our pride overcomes the purpose God has for us. When pride overrides the plan that God has for our lives. He did not do it, so God spoke a second time. How many of you are glad God speaks a second time? How many of you are glad that God gives us a second chance? You see, today is your second chance. For some of you today is that opportunity to get things right with God, to do what God has called you to do, to go where God has called you to go, to say what God has called you to say, to respond to the word of the Lord. So God spoke a second time and he said, go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give to you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. And on the first day, the Bible says, listen, without hesitation... Without dilly-dallying around, without first doing a few things, without any hesitation, on the first day, Jonah started into the city and did what God called him to do. And said, 40 more days in Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days in Nineveh will be overturned. Verse 5, the, the immediate verse says, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth and ashes as a sign of humility before the Lord. From the prostitutes to the politicians, from the rich to the poor, from the nobles to the nobodies, 
from the young to the old, from the educated to the uneducated alike, they all fell on their face and repented before the Lord. They all made their way to a place of humility and cried out to God and repented of their sin. Let everyone call urgently upon the Lord, the king said. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. One man with one message gave Nineveh one chance and every single one of them fell on their face before the Lord. I hope you understand one man with one message and one chance and every single one of them fell on their face before the Lord. Every single one of them cried out to God. This city never had a televangelist. This city didn't have Bible bookstores at every corner. This, this city didn't have the internet that you could go on and read the gospel. They didn't have the daily bread that could be mailed to them. They didn't even have the word of God. They didn't have a prophet. They didn't have temples. They didn't have preachers. It was a Gentile city church. They didn't have promise keepers. They didn't have ladies retreats. They didn't have small groups or cell groups or discipleship classes or Sunday school classes. They didn't have the Word of God right at their fingertip. They didn't have youth groups for their kids to run off to. They didn't have winter fests and sun fests for their kids to go to. They had one man with one message and one chance. And every single one of them, from the greatest to the least, fell on their face and repented before the Lord. Every single one called out to God. Please understand, listen to me. Jonah didn't go put on a three-piece suit before he walked into this powerful, mighty city. He didn't put on a bunch of bling-bling to impress the king. To impress all the nobles of this wealth, this wealthy and powerful city. This was the greatest nation on the earth. It was greater than even Babylon, and I won't even go into the details of how great this city was. But I want you to understand that Jonah didn't go put on designer clothes and designer shoes and a designer hat in order to impress the crowd, in order to be received. I want you to understand that he didn't drive up in a BMW. He didn't fly in on his own personal jet. I want you to understand that Jonah, the prophet of God, just came off of a three-day cruise from the belly of a whale. And God spit him up onto the shore. I want you to understand that when Jonah walked into the city of Nineveh, he smelled. I want you to know that his skin, the Bible says, was sunburned because it was bleached from the acid in the, in the whale's stomach. I want you to know that his hair was matted. And it was probably dyed white again because of the acid. He probably had seaweed and little bones of fishes stuck all over him. His clothes were tattered. There were threads hanging loose. He walked into the city of God. They could have mocked him. They could have laughed at him. They could have turned their back on him. They could have judged the word according to the messenger. But the Bible says when the man of God that had the power and the anointing upon him, guess what they did? They didn't say he looks funny. They didn't say he smells funny. They didn't say he sang too loud or preached too long. They didn't say anything. They fell on their face before an almighty God and they cried out for repentance. You see, so often we come into the house of God 
And after God speaks, we're more concerned about where we're going to go to eat than the condition of our soul. We're more concerned about the line building up and us missing out on our favorite food than the food that we need for the soil of our soul to make us righteous and right before God. Amen. Listen to me. When Jonah walked into the city of Nineveh, he didn't put on a puppet show to entertain the kids. Want you to understand, church, that he didn't bring a live band to, to set a particular mood. And even though we have it playing, and I'm thankful for it. Jonah didn't walk into the town with a band to warm up the crowd. I want you to understand that when Jonah walked into this rich city, he didn't walk in saying, if you would love the Lord, you're going to prosper. He didn't walk in saying, if you would just fall on your knees and repent, you're going to drive a BMW. You're going to have a Cadillac. You can wear some bling bling like I've got on. He just walked in and said, in 40 more days, Nineveh is going to be overturned. He didn't preach to them the grace of God. He didn't preach to them the mercy of God. He didn't even tell them why judgment was coming. Read the word of God yourself. He walked in and said, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. That's all he said. I want you to understand that when he walked by the businesses... He said, in 40 more days, Nineveh will be overturned and the businessmen put away their business deals. The businessmen put down their books. The businessmen interrupted whatever was going on and they said, I got to get before God. They didn't worry about the million dollar deal. They didn't worry about their bank account. They didn't worry about the customer they might lose. They humbled themselves before the sight of God and they called out to God in repentance. When, when, When Jonah walked through the city... When he walked past the bars and past the brothels, he preached in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned and the bars shut their doors and the owners cried out to God. The prostitutes put on their clothes, they put on sackcloth and ash and they fell before the Lord God Almighty. When Jonah walked through the city, when he walked past the houses... And he preached in 40 more days, Nineveh will be overturned. An urgency came upon the fathers and an urgency came upon the mothers. And the husband grabbed the wife by the hand. The mother went and grabbed son and daughter and they said, we got to call out to God. We got to humble ourselves before the Lord God Almighty so that judgment doesn't come upon us. He went by the idols and the graven images. When he went by the businesses, when he went past the schools, church. He walked past the, the, the institutes of learning. The professors put down their textbooks. The professors laid down their own wisdom and their own knowledge. And they said, there's someone smarter than me. There's someone greater than me. There's someone more powerful than me. And everything I think I am, they laid it all down. The students realize that their professor is not going to give them eternal life. That their teacher can't offer them eternal life. That the professor can't keep judgment from coming into their life. That all the wisdom of the world cannot keep them from standing at the judgment seat of God. And above all, the one thing that I want you to see the most was the king of Nineveh. The king of Nineveh, the Bible says, didn't even hear the the words of God firsthand. He heard them from a servant. He didn't even hear the... He didn't even probably see Jonah. But before Jonah could even get to the palace, the word of God made it to the palace. And when the, when the, the servant said, listen, the servant said, O king, he rushed in with urgency. Study this, understand. He did not set an appointment with the king. He could have died for running into the court of the king. But he was filled with a sense of urgency and he ran before the king. 
And he brought the word of Jonah. In 40 more days, Nineveh will be overturned, king. And what did the king do? He didn't, he didn't rise up in his own authority. He didn't smite the servant for bringing the word of the Lord. He didn't call on his army to go, to go capture Jonah. What did the king do? He, he took off his robe, the Bible says. He laid his status symbol down. He laid down his pride. He, he took off his badge. He put his dignity aside. And the Bible says instead of this, this robe of pride, instead of this robe of, of self-exaltation and self-accomplishment and, and this robe of, of power, he put on sackcloth. He put on a burlap bag, the Bible says, and he found a place in a pile of dust. And he humbled himself before God and he cried out for mercy. He cried out for grace. He put aside his dignity, church. He didn't care what the nobles had to say. He didn't care what the, the, men, of, uh, the men of power or prestige had to say. He didn't care what the the nobodies or the the peasants would think about him. The only thing he was concerned about was the condition of his own soul. And he said, I don't care what my I don't care about my reputation. You see, there's some of us in the house of God, we're too worried about our reputation. We're so worried about what someone's going to think and what someone's going to say. We're worried about what our husband or our wife or what the leadership in the church or someone is going to think or say. And all I'm telling you is it's time to take off your robe. It's time to take off your dignity. It's time to stop worrying about what someone else might say and come before the Lord and repent. Listen. Eight words. Where all Nineveh had to hear to change their way of life. Eight words to bring them to their knees. Eight words to cause an entire city to call on God. I've preached 4,000 words so far. And I wonder how many of you feel an urgency to come before the cross. I've preached 4,000 words. And I wonder how many of you are willing to get up out of your seat and say, God, I'm tired of pretending. God, I've been putting on a real big show. I don't care who's looking. I don't care who's watching. I don't care about my personal reputation, God. Here's the cross. And I'm wondering how many of you, after 4,000 words, are ready to get up and say, God, I'm going to bring it to the cross. This is your invitation. I'm wondering how many of you are saying, God, I'm tired of being powerless posers. I need the power of God in my life. I need revival in my life. And if no one else will get up, I'll get up, God. If no one else will answer the call, if no one else will remember, if no one else will react, I will get up and come to this cross. This is your invitation. Your invitation to respond to the word of the Lord. And put aside your pride and put aside your dignity. And, and, and if you feel like, if you feel like, I don't have any sin. I wonder if you feel the urgency to pray for the sin of the church or the sin of the world or the sin of a friend or the sin of a neighbor. Here's the cross. Here it is. I'm wondering, eight words is all it took for Jonah to speak. And the church and the city automatically got a prayer life. They automatically humbled themselves before the Lord. Eight words is all it took for someone to cry out to God. Eight words is all it took for them to get right before the Lord. We're waiting for someone else. 
Listen to me, church. Listen to me. I love you, but it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to stop slumbering. It's time to stop waiting for someone else to get things right with God. God is calling us to a place of repentance. This is what is needed for revival to take place. I want you to listen to me, church. Jesus. The word of the Lord said, when he said, remember what you have received, remember what you have heard and obey it and repent. He didn't stop there. He said, if you don't repent, if you don't repent for your own sins, if you don't repent for the sins of the church, if you don't repent for the sins of God's people, I will come like a thief in the night and you won't even know when I come. I told you earlier, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in a second, the Lord could come and we would find ourselves standing before the Lord in judgment. He goes on and he says, you should all know the scripture. There's coming a time when two will be out in the field working. One will be taken and one will be left. Two will be grinding at the millstone. One will be taken and one will be left. Two will be riding to work together. One will be taken, one will be left. Two will be sitting in a church pew. One will be taken, one will be left. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to stop looking around and wondering who is going to go to the altar when God is calling you to the altar. It's it's the time to take off our self-righteousness and think I'm all that. Stop thinking I've arrived. Stop thinking that I have need of nothing. When God is saying you're naked and you need to be covered with my righteousness. Amen. Thank God. I don't want anybody to be up here alone. If you feel led to come and pray with anybody, I pray that you would do that. Everybody else, I want you to stand to your feet because Pastor Zach is going to sing a song. We're going to take a few minutes to offer ourselves to God, to cry out, take off our robe of pride. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul.